0: From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we are looking at failed tech products to see what we can learn by studying their demises. My name is Quinn Nelson, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett.
1: Hello, Quinn. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm excited. We're talking about smartwatches today, which mm, you know, it, the Apple Watch, right? Yeah, that's not failed at all. I oh. I think this is the what? most current product we've we've kind of talked about this season
0: yeah yep i think that's right the ouya was well we didn't do a whole episode on that did we do a whole episode on the ouya uh no it was with the the pippin and the
1: nintendo game goggle thing what was that called (laughs)
0: the uh face game virtual boy the game face yeah Yeah. that was a good episode you should go listen to that uh yeah the (laughs) uya was what 2013 something like that so it's roughly the same time period but the pebble lasted longer Mm -hmm. than the uya did yeah well here's the thing about the, the pebble there's a lot of people that really love pebble and pebble in many respects kind of lives on even today but we're gonna talk about the whole story and kind of how it came up in the world. You have a pebble, correct? I, I did have a pebble. I, I think I still do. I told you last time I was gonna look for it. I can't find it, so I don't know if I gave it to somebody or or what. The disrespect. You've got the world's best smartwatch and it's just missing in a drawer somewhere.
1: I mean, I have a trash can Mac Pro on display as a collection <laughs> piece, so maybe I'm already <laughs> kind of
0: <laughs> not a great person. What's your hackett number of smartwatches? <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so let's talk about the pebble how did it all begin
1: it began like so many things with a pitch at y
0: combinator oh yeah right that's the first thing i always think about when
1: new products come that's where ideas are born yeah
0: yeah Uh so the ceo the founder of pebble a guy named eric eric oh yeah that's a name uh Wow. He sounds Russian. Is that Russian? Uh, we're going to go with Eric M. Niet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's really Russian. Uh, sorry, Eric. We butchered his name. Okay, it all begins with Eric. What did Eric do? Mija Yeah.
1: Anyways, Eric had this idea that you could have a watch that extended your phone. So you didn't have to look at your phone. You could get notifications to it. And it could work across multiple devices, including Android and the iPhone, so it got pitched. They got some seed money. Pebble was born, but uh, we're going to get to this over and over. Eric and the company really had trouble raising money, and so they ended up mm. turning to Kickstarter in 2012.
0: Yeah, see the the way you explained the smartwatch kind of made me chuckle. But in in 2012, that's kind of how things were. I mean, Android Wear didn't exist. The Apple Watch didn't exist yet. Surely they were in development but they weren't yet available. And so this whole kind of wearables market was really, really new. And the concept of a smartwatch as we know them today didn't really exist. And and many people credit Pebble, certainly Pebble did, (laughs) Pebble credited themselves as kind of the first smartwatch. And in some ways they kind of were. But if you go back and rewatch the project's video on Kickstarter – It's pretty basic. (laughs) It's just a plastic watch, but it was one that promised to work perfectly with both the iPhone and Android devices. And uh, you know what? The the watch isn't the worst-looking thing ever on the Kickstarter page. It looks slim and kind of smooth, and it had an integrated watch band, which was nice as well. It it seems a little dated now when you look at it, but I don't think it's the worst-looking thing
1: ever, right? No, not at all. Uh, we have some real time follow up from the Relay FM members Discord. Eric oh, Mijakowski, Mijakowski, Mijakowski. That's what I'm going with. Niet. It's Mijis <laughs> You gotta stop. <laughs> um, here's what's interesting though. So the Pebble wasn't this group's like first stab at a smartwatch, right? So, no. so this group had been responsible for the Impulse smartwatch. Uh, for BlackBerry, the company name was uh, Alretta at this point. So it was designed for BlackBerry users to check their email messages and receive calls from their wrists.
0: Wow. And what year was this? This is really early on. yeah, right? I had
1: I had no idea that this was a thing, but it was pretty cool. So it had a 1.3 inch color OLED display under glass. And we're talking mm. the fall of 2009 when it went on pre-order. Wow.
0: Very early days for OLED. Well, battery life was surely pretty bad on a on a smartwatch with an OLED display that early on, I would think. Four days. <laughs> Four days? Four days. <laughs> That's more than smartwatches now. Yes.
1: Fast recharging over micro USB. Um, so, yeah. So, this is what went on pre-order the fall of 09 for just $149. It shipped in 2010. It eventually gained its own app store and more robust Android support, but they only sold about 1,500 units, so
0: it sort of faded away. Well, you know, they were targeting BlackBerry users. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So with the Pebble, uh, Midjakovsky and his team wanted to build a broader, more flexible product and the market seemed to respond pretty positively to their plans. Uh, They set out to raise $100,000 on Kickstarter to build the first run of watches. But the crowdfunding campaign raised a remarkable, are you ready for this? $10,266,845. It was the most successful Kickstarter of all time when it launched, and uh, subsequent models raised even more. They They ended up going back to the Kickstarter. Uh, The Pebble Time, which is their second generation of watch, holds a $20.3 million Kickstarter fundraising campaign, which is nuts. That is wild. That is so much money. (laughs) So much money. I think it was one of the major catalysts in the press and a bunch of other companies saying like oh the wearables market's going to explode this is the future look how much demand there is for this like watch yeah. that you know and so there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of people that were excited about Pebble but there were a lot of people that were kind of banking on Pebble to be a success and uh, there were some stretch goals as these things happen in Kickstarter so the more money they raise the more features that become unlocked the ones that kind of passed, that met their goals, because again, $10 million, uh, were Bluetooth 4.0 support and better water resistance, Uh, both of which I think are pretty crucial in a product like that.
1: Yeah, I I like too that stretch goals were much better hardware, right? Instead of, oh, we'll just make this poster in a different color, or you know whatever some Kickstarters are. Mm -hmm. But I guess when you raise this much money, they could like radically change. I mean, think about adding newer bluetooth they have to source the hardware they got to deal with driver software
0: but i guess the money yeah. gave them the freedom to do that sort of thing yeah which is pretty good and you know what it, it, the timeline did slip on shipping pebble because sure. that's how kickstarter projects always go but unlike a lot of kickstarter projects today the pebble actually shipped <laughs> it was the first promised uh, to ship in september of 2012 but it actually kind of slipped to january of the next year but that's all things considered, not too long of a delay. Not for a hardware project on Kickstarter. I mean, how many, no. <laughs> how many don't even make it out the door? Yeah,
1: a lot. I'm still waiting on one from three years ago. Yeah, well, spoiler alert, uh, Pebble had that issue at the end. <laughs> but uh, uh, Okay, so let let's talk about that original Pebble. You described it case made of plastic, uh, pretty thin. You know, it it in hindsight it looks cheap compared to like, yes, like the stainless steel Apple Watch. But sure. still looks pretty
0: good. Yeah, I think I think it looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's it's much different than like a, a Casio watch or no. or you know uh, cheaper fossil watches that are very popular. Yeah, so.
1: I think Fitbit has you know kind of stayed in this design lane uh, to a degree. Yeah. So the cases yeah. side walls and rear back were soft touch plastic, and the top where the display was was covered in high gloss curved cover plastic. You know. We don't think it looks bad, but it also doesn't look cool. It's very utilitarian.
0: like It yeah. gets the job done. It's, some would say maybe even a little geeky. It kind of has a kind of calculator watch vibe. Sure. I dig it. Yeah, me too. But I'm a geek. so uh, you I know. own a calculator watch. <laughs> <laughs> the watch wasn't massive. The case dimensions were 41 by 33 millimeters, and then it was 10.5 millimeters thin which uh, is not crazy thin, but it's not thick at all. I mean, that's it's pretty similar to the first-generation Apple Watch that came a couple years later. And there was a 22-millimeter lug width. We're getting into watch stuff now, uh, which meant that the band, the straps that you would attach to the bracelet were pretty wide. And so it, it certainly wasn't designed to disappear. I mean, it was it was kind of loud. It was there. But it had a nice curved display that kind of matched the curvature of your wrist And I think it worked pretty well. There was a display, and this is where the kind of pebble set itself out from the rest of the crowd, uh, was that it had a, a display that was really pretty small, 32 millimeters or about one and a quarter inches. So not a big display compared to modern smartwatches. And it was surrounded by absolutely massive bezels. But it was an interesting display because it's been said frequently that it's an e-ink display and it's actually not that's a miscategorization it is a sharp e-paper display which is a transflective lcd Uh, e-ink which is you know most frequently found in e-readers like the kindle is classified as a persistent pixel technology so in short the pixels are ink microcapsules that are charged and they move up or down to say go white or black when current is applied uh, and the image on an e-reader or an e-ink display is retained even without power, which is why your Kindle that you haven't read in three years – shame on you, by the way – still looks like it's turned <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> there are uh, a few problems with e-ink, though. They require a bit more power than you 'd expect to kind of refresh the display. Uh, which on a book isn't a problem because you only need to do it a couple thousand times between charges. And because books take time to read, uh, you're not abusing the refresh rate on that display every second uh, like you would on a watch display where, well, you tell time down to the second. So the display needs to refresh every single second. Uh, that would be bad for e-ink because it draws too much power. And then e-ink is frankly just pretty slow to respond when compared to a traditional display and then there's one more problem that's making them pixel dense is pretty difficult which kind of qualified it as a viable option now by contrast the sharp e-paper display that was used in the pebble is vastly different Uh, it uses a regular old lcd kind of like your computer monitor or tv but instead of having a regular backlight it has transflective properties you might be wondering What does transflective Uh, mean? I was wondering (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's both transmissive and reflective Uh, transmissive because it does have a backlight like a regular display panel that would emit light when necessary. So when there's low viewing conditions uh, at night and the pebble allowed you to activate this backlight a couple different ways. There was a button press option. You could shake the watch kind of like the Apple watch with an accelerometer. And there was an ambient light sensor display to kind of determine how bright to turn up that sensor. Uh, But the display mostly uses its reflective properties. So it takes ambient light coming in, like the sun, and then reflects it against a kind of a sheet of reflective material behind the display and then reflects it or reprojects it back through the display. Um, So it kind of looks like an e-ink when you're outside. It's very bright. It looks like paper. It's really excellent for viewing outdoors. But it also saves on battery. Because most of the time, you don't need a backlight. It's turned off. But it's still there when you need it. So it's kind of the best of both worlds if you're okay with not the most beautiful, vibrant display. I mean, compared to a modern Apple Watch, it looks dumb. But in terms of battery, it was a pretty big deal. And uh, there was one other thing that the e-paper display did, and then I'll shut up about it. I just think e-paper is pretty cool. (laughs) Unlike typical LCD monitors um, that basically have to refresh every time, well, you know, a certain number of times per second. So you've heard the term refresh rate, obviously. Yes. Uh, Like the iPad is a 120 hertz refresh rate. Your iPhone is a 60 hertz refresh rate. That's the number of times per second that the display needs to essentially redraw and the Pebble was a little different because this e-paper display allowed you to uh, have a memory LCD, they called it, which really only updated the pixels that actually needed to be updated. So it would only redraw, you know, the seconds on the display and everything else would stay static. Uh, what this meant is that without the need to redraw multiple times per second or, uh, you know, even like the Apple Watch, the modern Apple Watch, isn't the refresh rate a one hertz display? So it updates every one second, which is pretty cool, but it still needs to redraw the entire display every one second. And and OLED and LCD is a little different, and refresh rate gets weird. But the pixels on the Pebble only needed to be redrawn uh, when they changed. And the ones that didn't need to change could stay on, hold their state with very, very, very little power. And so, pretty awesome. You have a display that looks nice. You can do it inside and outside, and it takes very little power. That's really cool. It sounds it sounds like such a mashup of a mashup of
1: technologies we're more used to, right? Like parts of this sound like e paper, yeah. parts of it sound like LCD, parts of it sound like OLED. Even like when you, when you yeah. don't need the backlight, that's really cool. It's kind of jack of all trades. Yeah, and yeah, the the to now it looks
0: pretty. Pretty old school, right? Yeah. Not not amazing. But for the time, awesome. Especially when battery life was such a concern. I mean, you remember the first Apple Watch. The battery life was... Mm. Not great. Saying it was abysmal is pretty generous. Yeah, I mean, if you worked out, <laughs> but, you were going to be charging it in the afternoon. Yeah. right.
1: Wouldn't even last a day. And they've gotten better at that over time, but it is still a far cry from multiple days, right? We're talking four, yeah. seven days on these on these early Pebble devices. The Apple Watch isn't in that ballpark at all.
0: Yeah, seven days, which is not an always-on display. It's got a tiny 120 milliamp hour battery, seven days on a normal usage charge. That's sweet. It, it is sweet. Mm.
1: So we mentioned the Bluetooth 4.0 that got added uh, to the, the, the original Pebble, but also had a couple of other fun internals it had a three axis accelerometer so you, I guess it could tell which direction it was pointing where your wrist yep. was um, the Apple watch has this the iPhone had it for has had it for a long time also included a compass and a vibrate motor to alert you but there was no speaker built in which uh,
0: there was one last neat feature about the pebble and that was five atmospheres of water resistance or about 50 meters. Now, don't get me into watch submersibility ratings because they're kind of a scam. You wouldn't want to go scuba diving with your pebble. But this thing in a swimming pool and similar activities, just fine, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh,
1: The Apple Watch has gotten better at that. Other smartwatches have gotten better at that. But if you think about the time, very few phones were able to do that. So it was a big deal that you could get this wet and to not uh, die on you. So we need to talk about software, right? Software powers all of these things and the pebble group they struggled with this in the beginning there were some promises in the campaign like the number of apps uh, including a cycling app that would measure speed and distance and pace using like the gps on your phone golf uh, angle finder some of these were promised weren't quite there on day one and these pebble apps basically had to talk to the phone the phone was the watch's way out into the world and that meant that the phone kind of had to always be always be present. But I yeah. will say to their credit, they really showed real dedication for a long time. There were updates every couple of weeks, adding features, enabling new software. They really had their heads down on making the software better, and that's something that I still think Pebble did really well compared to even more modern companies.
0: Yeah. I think so as well. And and this whole concept of kind of requiring the phone to be tethered to it because it was missing some sensors and needed a data connection wasn't uh, wasn't that unusual for the time? I mean, you'll remember on the original Apple Watch, a lot of the processing was done on your iPhone and then handed off via Bluetooth. Yeah, w- which made it slow and you know. I'm glad th- things have improved significantly over the years, but it's not like Pebble's Design decision was inherently flawed because other successful products have done the same thing. But one of the most beloved aspects of the Pebble, I think, was the Pebble SDK. So the original SDK was limited to just watch faces, um, but then very quickly, I'm talking like a number of weeks later, they expanded it to simple apps and games. Pebble 2.0, which was the second release and came out about a year later, and then evolved over the next couple of years. They still call it Pebble 2.0, but uh, you know, it, 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 for the last couple of years of the Pebble's life, um, the Pebble 2.0 SDK, or they renamed it at one point to Pebble Kit, Hmm. <laughs> wonder where they got that idea, uh, added support for two-way communication between Pebbles and smartphones running iOS or Android using the app message framework. And so it meant that the SDK could grab data from the web via the smartphone's network connection without the need for a separate companion app running on the phone itself, which is pretty handy. Um, Some of them would integrate into just the Pebble app. Some of them had their own independent apps on your smartphone. This was more common on Android where you could kind of sideload apps, Um, and we'll talk about the whole iOS, Android thing in a minute. But a few of these early apps were, for example, Plex Remote which allowed you to control your Plex server via your smartwatch. There's a lot of, a lot of overlap in those two crowds, I think. Yeah, <laughs> there actually is. Another one was Pebble Mars, which pulled in photos from the Mars rover and would display them on your Pebble. Nerdy stuff, but, you know, pretty yeah. pretty handy initial apps. On your tiny grayscale
1: 1.26-inch <laughs> display.
0: Hey, well, you know, space is a, a colorless uh, wasteland, it's right?
1: Super true. No. So you mentioned how this was different on Android and the iPhone. That's a huge thing here. The experience with the Pebble was really varied based on the operating system of your phone. A lot of things were better over in Android land because the apps Mm -hmm. had more options. And iOS at the time didn't really have background processing, had some real limitations around permissions and Bluetooth in particular. Um, but it was received rather well by the press. So, Neil Patel at The Verge reviewed it. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from his original review of the first Pebble. After using the Pebble for a few days, I realized that I was daydreaming about it. I wanted it to do more. That's unusual. I rarely trust new products to work correctly, especially new products from unproven companies. But the Pebble's charming simplicity and the fundamental competence inspires confidence. It's so good at what it does that it's easy to imagine all the other things it might do in the future. At $150, the Pebble isn't cheap. Man, that, that line <laughs> uh, <laughs> doesn't hold up. <laughs> uh, but it's def- and it's definitely not yet a must-have device, but it's close. If the Pebble team can deliver on the rest of their promises, they'll have created the first mainstream wearable computing platform. And even if they don't, the Pebble as it exists right now Will make a lot of people very happy.
0: Hey, you know that's that's pretty high price. It is. Especially for a brand new product in a pretty new market segment. Nice. Okay, well what's Stephen Hackett's review of the Pebble? Because you had one. Or I don't want to say have one because who knows where it is. Yeah. But disrespectful. <laughs> but where when you had it, <laughs> how did you like it?
1: Yeah, so I had a Kickstarter, I backed them a Kickstarter had a Kickstarter edition And I used an iPhone, so I definitely felt those limitations. And in my initial review, I talk about how the Pebble, if it disconnects from your phone, you have to repair it. And, you know, some of that was on Apple. Some of that was on Pebble, probably. But that was really what was so frustrating about this device in the early days is that it was hard to tell what was causing the issues, right? Because Mm. iOS 6... Pretty limited, pretty locked down, and I think a lot of it was probably on that side of things, but still was uh, sort of a frustrating thing. Um, And I kind of agree I agree with what uh, Neelai wrote. So I wrote, um, the Pebble is like the Model A. When people looked at the Model A, some realized it was the future and that one day everyone would drive. Others thought Henry Ford was off his rocker and the invention was a one-off that wouldn't ever go anywhere. And I think that's how people really felt about Pebble, right? They were the diehard fans who really believed they were onto something. But a lot of people, including people in my life, thought, why do you want a watch that can do the things your phone can do? And selling people on that idea was really hard in those early days. Yeah. It's still hard now, honestly. You know, I still have people yeah. like, why do why you want Apple Watch? Why not just use your phone?
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think in the last couple of years, they really have proven their utility, but especially initially when they kind of required the phone to be near them at all times, they it was a difficult device to pitch. And I kind of echo the sentiments you expressed and frustrations with early iOS because even me with early Fit, uh, Fitbit devices… As a tech reviewer, I'd have a lot of phones available, and seldom did I have problems syncing my accessories with Android. I had a lot of other problems with Android, (laughs) but seldom did I have uh, issues syncing accessories with Android. And it kind of consistently seemed like a problem with iOS. I will say, though, in the last few years, Apple has really made improvements in this area, like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You can even respond to text messages and stuff like that via uh bluetooth devices which is nice i can do it from my car which doesn't use carplay it's just a regular kind of integration that that uh ios and android have built into their systems but so things have improved but still there's this kind of weird lockdown of apple's garden and also one of the reasons why apple watch is a compelling device because it's really the only device on ios that can truly do everything you know what i mean Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Pebble just decided that their first model was good and then they quit. They retired, right? Uh no, man. They kept the uh, foot on the oh. gas. Oh, okay. As the kids say. <laughs> Do they say that? I though? don't I don't know. Your car doesn't even
1: use <laughs> gas. I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh That's right. So after the original Pebble, they very quickly unveiled the Pebble Steel at CES 2014 and released it just a month later. It was basically still a first-generation Pebble, had the same display, had the same specifications, but it did sport a thinner body, a tactile metal kind of display face. and There were metal buttons as well. And then there was Corning Gorilla Glass instead of the polycarbonate plastic screen cover of the first model. Uh, It also came in two- color variations silver and black and had different bracelet options as well so you could get a steel link bracelet or i think there were a couple leather straps to choose from but the specs wise uh, specs wise largely the same i think it does look quite a bit better though than the first the first pebble it still looks old mm-hmm. when you look at it today but i can see the charm and it's it still it looks kind of cute like, it's, it's a nice-looking little watch, even if it wasn't kind of, you know, flashy and hyper-premium-looking. I think that it uh, does a better job than the
1: original at blending in. Like, you could wear this in the office, yeah. and it's not a black plastic or red plastic thing. Just at a glance, it looks like yeah. a more traditional watch. You know, I've got my sure. wedding band tattooed, and most people don't notice it because it's like it's where the, a wedding band should be. It's dark, in color. So it's like, you know, unless you really look at it, it's out of the corner of your eye, it's going to fit in. And I think this was a good move from Pebble trying to make it a broader appeal device. Uh, A friend of mine was really interested in the Pebble and held off until the Pebble steel. And that's when he jumped on board for these
0: reasons. Yeah. You could kind of, they use this term in the watch world too. It's kind of a sport watch, but it can dress up. So if you were wearing you know, nicer business attire, it would still look good, but you could also throw like a fun, more playful mm-hmm. strap on it and go to the beach and it would still fit in there as well. Yeah, I think So the st- there
1: was kind of... I think the steel did get knocked a little bit for being uh, more masculine looking. This is being pointed yeah. out in our chat room as well, that it, yeah. it looked like a dude's
0: watch and the regular Pebble didn't really have that. That's fair. I do think that the second generation watch, the Pebble Time which you should tell me about, uh, did end up looking way more gender neutral. And I think it's the best looking Pebble model. I agree. So uh, this is up to 2015
1: now. And the Pebble Time and Pebble Time Steel were here. You mentioned their Kickstarter earlier, raising $20.3 million, which is Hmm. mind-blowing. Pretty big. Yeah. So what, what was new in these? So the Pebble Time and then the Pebble Time Steel, battery life jumped from seven to 10 days. And the black and white e-paper screen was replaced with a color one, which is really cool. Uh, Yeah, that's nice. A water-resistant microphone was added for audio recording, and everything was a lot smaller. So they were able to to slim it down. And they had the inclusion of smart straps. And this has been rumored in other smartwatch platforms. The idea is, I don't think really ever taken off, but basically the idea is you could have different watch bands that could do different things like you could have a watch band that maybe had a gps antenna in it or tiny battery cells or heart rate monitors and you could change them out and they would communicate with the watch through some sort of pin out on the watch itself this was a big deal when they announced it and a few ended up coming out but uh not or it wasn't a huge hit the way pebble i think really wanted it to be
0: yeah i do think it's a Kind of clever idea because in theory, you don't have to pay for what you're not going to use. At the same time, you rely on third-party hardware manufacturers to fill in the holes for what the first-party company didn't do, which means software support was probably not nearly as good uh, because, you know, much fewer customers. But there were a few straps that became available. Uh, there was a GPS and battery strap. There was a heart rate monitor strap that came out. And then there was a UK company that created a UK supported NFC payment system too, which was pretty cool. And it would sync with the watch. so You could toggle through your cards. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of the, the beauty of the Pebble and it's really open SDK was that as long as you could kind of think of it and as long as... Uh, the the watch could hold it because there was initial limits of about eight apps, which was kind of annoying, eventually removed later on. But as long as you could get around the few limitations, it was pretty much able to do what you wanted it to do within reason. Uh, around the same time, Pebble even offered a Pebble time round. Now, you'll remember when smartwatches started coming out, the Apple Watch in particular, that people thought, yeah, square watches. Who wants one of those? Never mind that some of the most famous and iconic watches, mechanical watches of all time are square. But anyway, people were like, that's not right. Watches are round. Give me a round watch. Android Wear was very much kind of on this forefront. The Moto, uh, what was it called? The Moto? The moto 360 watch yeah yeah the moto 360 there you go it was round and that was kind of its whole pitch was just like yeah well you know it's not the best smart watch in the world and android wears not bad but it's round looks like a regular watch and so there was demand in the market for round watches and the pebble time round was exactly like that. Uh, it's this if you look at it now it looks kind of funny because it's a it's a fairly large round watch and then the circular display is very 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 small. <laughs> it's like a little tiny circle inside of a much bigger circle but it was indeed round. it was very sleek and thin uh, but it did so at the expense of battery life. So it took that new 10 day rating of the pebble time and pushed it all the way down to just two days. Yikes. A lot less. That said, it was still better in terms of battery than most Android Wear devices Mm -hmm. and the Apple Watch, but it also didn't have the display that those other smartwatches did. So the, the Pebble Time also came with updated software. The
1: entire user interface was designed around a timeline, not unlike... Google Now on Android Wear. It also kind of makes me think of the Siri Watch face if it was good and useful.
0: Mm, shots fired. <laughs> but
1: the idea was, <laughs> the idea was you would have a timeline showing events, notifications, and more, and you could basically pass up and down the timeline. It had really deep integration with the notifications on Android, so it could display any incoming notification, and users could scroll through them and reply all from the watch. Of like course, as we've mentioned a couple of times now, this wasn't possible on iOS. Messages from notifications were often truncated, and the only actions were to dismiss or reply to SMS. And weirdly, battery life was worse when using iOS as opposed to Android.
0: Which is that is something that's something else. Yeah, that's that's not typical. <laughs> that's fine. Well, support on the platform still seems strong. However, Uh, there were thousands of apps in the Pebble catalog from watch faces to social media and stock price apps to activity tracking. There was automation stuff, turn-by-turn directions, and more. It seemed like a really healthy, capable platform. And there were a lot of these apps coming from big companies like ESPN, Uber, and GoPro. Uh, GoPro was a big company back then. Big deal. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But of course I guess reality sets in and that brings us to the Pebble 2 and time two watches and really speaks to the end uh, at least the beginning of the end of pebble yeah yeah so they returned to Kickstarter yet again for the third time how much money did they raised this time I was gonna say
1: just 12 million which is a lot of money but it's 8 million less than they did the previous time so <laughs> yeah. quote just 12 million
0: yeah. that's not great. Mm-mm. Just $12 million. Just, terrible. Yeah, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Get it together. All right. So, so
1: a yeah. couple of products here. The Pebble 2 retained the black and white screen. The okay. Time 2 was the color screen replacement, but it was more heavily focused on fitness. So it had uh, heart rate, step, and sleep tracking, a whole lot more. And then we have the Pebble Core, which the easiest thing... For me to compare it to is like a fob to unlock your car. Like it'd go on your keys or on your shirt or something. It was cellular enabled. uh, And it would let you, quote, leave the phone at home. There's all these companies. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You could even stream Spotify and track your workout via GPS. And it was only 70 bucks, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But... A weird product, right? Like, you've m- just made watches, and you made a thing without a screen. Yeah. And and it doesn't sync with the watches, and it's just a little weird, a little odd. I kind of think this mm-hmm. would have maybe been more successful had it been spun out a little bit more, but I think they wanted to keep using the Pebble name. and and That's probably true. And just frankly, like, when these products came out, there was a lot of discussion about how big is the wearables market, going to be pebble was just sort of running out of time yeah so to speak for a watch company yeah right uh-huh
0: and, and i mean they had they had big time competition now right yeah yeah i mean you've got apple with the apple watch and then fitbit is just buying up everyone and doing at least it seems so in the beginning if not fitbit in 2020 fitbit in 2015 was just taking names man they were doing extremely well mm-hmm. but the market just got saturated and the margins thinned and the dominant players kind of emerged and pebble was not one of them so i guess it's time to talk about its slow death right yeah it's not even that slow unfortunately <laughs> not so slow
1: death. In the spring of 2014 we're right on the eve of android wear and the apple watch yeah. Pebbles the Pebble steals on sale. The company announces we've sold 400,000 units, which seems pretty good for a small company. Yeah, pretty good. But they announced this just days after Google revealed the first version of Android Wear. So it seems like it was a PR response of like, hey, we're here, we're important, which doesn't look the best, I don't think. Yeah. And while it hadn't been a huge, while it hasn't been a huge success, Android Wear, like they've had their ups and downs. 2014 was far from over when it came to smartwatch news, because in that fall, Apple showed off the first Apple Watch. It was in the keynote with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, and it didn't ship until the spring of 2015. There was like a six or seven month gap between Apple announcing the watch That's true. and its shipping, but it was like another thing that Pebble was going to have to go up against.
0: Sidebar, real quick, was that the first Apple product that was announced so far ahead of its ship date? The Apple, the original iPhone was about six months. Well, yeah, six months. But other than that, like in, I guess, more modern Apple.
1: Yeah, the iPad was a couple of months. But yeah, it's definitely in a a short on a short list of of
0: that window, time frame. Yeah, it's it's now more common than ever, mm-hmm. but which is fine. Uh, still waiting on that air power. Yeah, just kidding. Hey-o. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they do their, their third Kickstarter. Doesn't go quite as well. A lot of people are kind of confused because it seemed pretty clear that they were trying to take on Fitbit and it just it wasn't happening. They didn't have the same fitness features and their software wasn't really matched for it. And then as these Kickstarter things go, there were severe hardware delays, mm-hmm. I mean, I, really bad. Pebble had been pretty good at shipping their products soon after they had kind of promised to ship them. The Time 2 and the Pebble 2 and the... Core were not very much the case. In fact, I can't even tell if the core ever shipped. I can see a few early Mm hands-on, but I don't think I ever saw a photo of it in the wild. The watch did, but as the company was getting buried. (laughs) 2016 was a rough year for the company. A full quarter of its employees were let go in March. And then the company partially pivoted the pebble line to, again, become fitness trackers. And it just didn't really uh, work out. The core ended up back on Kickstarter and the company's kind of problems of being able to not raise money came into play. Um, it, they were able to do it and then now suddenly they couldn't do it. And they had a lot of people's money that they had promised to ship a product that just wasn't ready
1: to go. So in November of 2016, rumor had it that Fitbit was buying Pebble and just a month later, Pebble filed for bankruptcy. This is as Pebble 2 Kickstarter, like that that last Kickstarter, those were going out the door. Anyone who had not received their products as of December 6, 2016, were given a full refund. So some people got these products, but they basically couldn't meet the Kickstarter demand and had to refund all of that stuff. The pricing here is really heartbreaking. So it was rumored that Fitbit was paying between 35 and 40 million dollars but a later financial report showed that Fitbit paid just 23 million that's pretty rough when Yikes. the word on the street was the pebble had around 25 million dollars in debt and uh so it basically maybe broke even I mean the founders and the investors didn't walk away with any money
0: in their pockets that's a bummer it is that's the 23 million that's the single Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well Fitbit Fitbits always demonstrated incredible responsibility in their acquisitions, uh, right? And they told everyone, don't worry, don't worry. The reason we're purchasing Pebble is to make Fitbit devices uh, more general purpose as a wearable rather than just fitness trackers. But in the years afterwards... Sure, Fitbit devices did come onto the market that had some of the features that Pebble had, including basic app support and robust notif- uh, notification support. But even kind of the modern Fitbit smartwatches that are available, I think in most respects, still don't match what the Pebble was able to do, which is really a bummer. As,
1: all, as these things go, in 2019, Google bought Fitbit for $2.1 billion.
0: For, uh, oh, billion with a B. Yeah. That's right. Well, uh, unlike Instagram, I don't know that Fitbit was as good of an acquisition. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Fitbit... uh, Well, I I guess Fitbit wasn't that responsible with their acquisitions, but Google has always demonstrated that the companies they buy do very well and last for years to come. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Nest. (laughs) Okay. In the years
1: since... Former members of the Pebble team, along with enthusiasts, have worked to keep their smartwatches running. Dubbed the, are you ready? Rebel Alliance, R-E-B-B-L-E. Oh,
0: it's so good. (laughs) I was going to say it's so bad, but sure. sure.
1: I'm a dad. (laughs) The the Rebel Alliance, their initial work was led by Catherine Barry, and they had a working cloud infrastructure up and running to keep data flowing to the devices, including custom firmware updates. Now you may think, yeah. well, how do they manage that? Do they steal a bunch of code? Well, a lot of what Pebble was doing was done as open source work. So it was available. Uh, they did probably take some things, um, but a lot of the programmers who worked on it originally joined this alliance. So they had, you know, knowledge of how the thing worked. So Fitbit left the Pebble servers online until June of 2018 But the team was ready to go with their replacement services, including a new app store called the Panic App Store.
0: Yeah, and this is still available today, which is
1: wild. It's really wild. Uh, iFixit got involved. They, of course, don't want to see electronic devices become e-waste. And so they stepped in. They sourced and even, I think, manufactured some replacement parts for people who damaged their pebbles. And to this day, like you said... There are thousands of Pebbles out there still doing their thing.
0: You yeah, that warms my heart, man. That's awesome. It is. That's so cool. Community coming together to fix old hardware, to make software for it to be able to run. Very, very cool. I think it's great. Okay. So what can we learn from this whole uh, Pebble debacle?
1: Two big things come to mind for me. One, that if you were in a market and you end up competing with a platform owner, you need to take that seriously. So there's this CNBC interview in 2015 when Pebble CEO dismissed the threat of the Apple Watch saying, quote, they are focused on being the Rolex of smartwatches. On the other hand, I think we are trying to be the swatch of smartwatches. And I see what he's saying because the original Apple Watch was not real focused and also really expensive. But they've really Really come down in price over the years. And I don't think they foresaw that. And I think they thought there'd be cover for them in the market, but competing against a platform owner is just a very, very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah. There's one other problem that Pebble had, and that's that you... And it's hard to be able to tell the future and to know the past, but know when to get out maybe. <laughs> By late 2014, it was pretty obvious that Apple was entering the market with a smartwatch. Mm-hmm. This Apple watch was coming out. Everyone knew it. We didn't really know what it was going to be or what it was going to cost. It ended up being a lot more expensive than we thought. But as you mentioned, it did come down in time. And Pebble during this time should have been terrified. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that they were because Intel had reportedly offered a buyout at $70 million in 2014. And uh, they said no. Oh, no. So, yeah, a little bit of a bummer.
1: It's like Snapchat was offered a a bucket of money from Facebook and they turned it down. And we could argue how successful they've been since, but that's really heartbreaking to think about Pebble.
0: Uh, So while the Pebble lives on in our hearts and on some people's wrists, the... Legacy of Pebble lives on. And I I honestly do think that kind of a lot of Pebble's initial features have made their way into smartwatches today. Mm -hmm. And some of them yet have to arrive. (laughs) There's still no custom watch faces for Apple Watch, which is, well, depends on who you ask. I think a little bit of a bummer. But there were a lot of uh, really neat, fun apps that showed what smartwatches could do. And I think a lot of them were very focused. I mean, you'll remember kind of the first... If you go back, I I did this a couple months ago, and it's a fascinating exercise. Go back and watch the original Apple Watch keynote. Mm -hmm. It is the the whole the what they think the Apple Watch is going to be, it's not. (laughs) I mean, there was much less focus on fitness than there is today. There was way more focus on, oh, look, you can run apps on your smartwatch, which you know, there are a few good apps for Apple Watch, but it's not something that is largely done. And I think part of the problem was because. The original Apple Watch made it so inconvenient. Um, I have my original review up of the Apple Watch, and I, I basically said, you know, this is cool, but it takes too long to do anything. And I would demonstrate like, hey, here's an app. Let's open the Twitter app. Oh, it takes 30 seconds to transmit all that data over Bluetooth. You could open it on your phone and be done on a much larger display more quickly. And I think Pebble did a pretty good job at managing really light, really fast applications that seemed hyper-focused. They didn't try to do too much. They were simple little widgets. And part of that was due to the platform's limitations. But part of it, I think, was due to the fact that Pebble's SDK was really, really good.
1: It reminds me a lot of ways in a lot of ways of WebOS. They had some really good ideas, limited hardware, limited funding, Yeah, but the ideas have proven to be winners because we see them across the industry now. It's unfortunate the Pebble itself didn't win, but what do you do? So that is the Pebble, and that is the end of season one of Flashback. We will be back in the fall. We're working on some ideas for the fall, so we will keep you posted. So stay subscribed in your podcast player. And uh, we will will be back in the fall. You can follow us on Twitter for
0: updates, of course, and online. Quinn, where can people find you? They can find me on social media at SnazzyQ, And they can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash
1: snazzy. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my writing over at 512pixels.net. And uh, Quinn, until our summer vacation
0: is over, say goodbye. Goodbye. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you soon. Love you. Bye.